0: East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the air. Joining you now, your editor-in-chief of the Lansing City Pulse,
1: Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, can green beans help you cope with the pandemic? Reporter Cole Tonningly went looking for the answer. And then, Rich Tupica takes us on another musical trip down memory lane. First up, though, our weekly conversation with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential campaign. Matt, what have you uh, found uh, interesting since the last time we talked?
2: Well, of course, we're all watching uh, the uh, response to uh, police violence in uh, Minneapolis at the moment and uh, looking at the uh, responses of of political officials to that, Um, and I've been... Doing some readings on the the previous effect of, of protests and, and riots on uh, in presidential elections, um, and then I've been also watching the uh, uh, mini uh, conflict between uh, Trump and uh, Twitter and social media companies uh, over uh, their desire to to fact check in the in the midst of uh, campaign.
1: Well, uh, let's uh, take them in that order then. Uh, what have you uh, discovered about uh, uh, what uh, race riots, I guess, and their effect on politics?
2: Well, there is emerging evidence that uh, the uh, nonviolent uh, protests uh, can have uh, very uh, positive effects, both on uh, the, the policymakers responding to the concerns of protesters um, and even on the affiliated uh, political party and ideological movement um, moving in the direction of the protesters. Uh, But there is also evidence that uh, protests that uh, where there is protester-initiated violence, even if there is also violence from uh, police, uh, tend uh, not to help uh, the protesters' uh, causes. Um, And there's even some evidence that in the 1960s, at least, it was enough to uh, swing the 19 uh, 68 election uh, to to Richard Nixon uh, because uh, the media portrayal of the protests uh, increased concern about disorder and crime and, and tied it uh, to the great
1: society. Uh, you know, in my mind, one uh, immediately to riots. And I, I don't think it's fair to characterize Minneapolis right now is what happens in Detroit uh, in '67, and uh, and then following Martin Luther King's assassination, the disruptions in big cities, of, uh, in many uh, states. Uh, but uh, is there a line here that, uh, based on what you've seen historically, that is in danger of being crossed? Could something get ignited this summer? Well, I think uh,
2: the the line that's been drawn in the research is that that one I mentioned about whether uh, protesters initiate violence and whether the media... Uh, Responds by calling it a violent protest. So I think we have um, we have passed across that line um, in terms of the way that uh, the 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 protest will be be portrayed. Um, on the other hand, uh, we did just have experience with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which occurred uh, in uh, the the 2016 presidential election and before it. Uh, and uh, so we have some more recent evidence uh, that suggests that that maybe be um, some uh, mixtures. Uh, might uh, help uh, the protesters' causes. So, for example, uh, there's actually evidence that the Minneapolis uh, protests uh, over Orlando Castile actually raised African American turnout. In Minneapolis, uh, and we saw similar effects in other areas where there was large Black Lives Matter mobilization. So, uh, and and there is some evidence that although those protests were also polarizing, uh, they might have helped uh, the the protesters by uh, increasing uh, turnout more than they stimulated opposition.
1: And if turnout is increased, this helps who?
2: Oh, it I would help the Democrats uh, and uh, the uh, more liberal uh, members of Congress. Uh, and that uh, uh, does seem to, to be the, the general trend with protests. It's just that we have this uh, contrary finding that when protests are, are deemed violent, they can backfire.
1: Uh, we're talking to Matt Croston uh, from Michigan State University, as we do every week about uh, the 2020 presidential campaign. You're listening to City Pulse here. On the impact uh, Matt uh, what about the the voters who will say you know I'm, I'm going to turn out and vote for Republicans be- just because of this
2: uh there there are a lot of people who uh, who tell us that um, it's just that the the studies um at least in the black Lives matter case uh, the study showed that that most of the people who said they were animated by the protests were already going to turn out. Um, now there is, um, you know, some, and there is also some evidence that people changed their opinions on the protests as a result of their support. For example, Donald Trump supporters um, became more negative about black lives matter over the course of the campaign, but didn't select him uh, on that basis. Um, but back to the, the 1960s data I mentioned, uh, there's, there certainly is evidence uh, that's a concern about, uh, riots and concern about uh, rising crime uh, did, uh, did help
1: stimulate Republican turnout. Uh, let's turn to your second topic. What are your thoughts there? Well, uh, the social media
2: companies are, of course, in a difficult situation because they uh, were blamed uh, for the spread of fake news. Uh, during the twenty sixteen election um and they're that uh, they weren't just blamed, they were responsible in uh, in some cases uh, and so they're gearing up for another election where they really are not wanting to play uh, arbiter of the truth, as Mark Zuckerberg said um but they're really placed in in that position because there's a lot of um there's a lot of false statements being spread on there. Uh, Platforms, including uh, by the president, and Twitter um, has recently uh, posted uh, in more information or links to more information uh, under Donald Trump uh, tweets, um, uh, implying that they are are not providing uh, correct information. Uh, That has provoked a response from Trump, including a legal response where he uh, issued a new executive order. Um, To try to uh, limit uh, uh, social media companies ability to uh, get out of their uh, editorial decisions. Um, And so this is going to be a big issue uh, in the the election, um, because we are going to see more misinformation spread on these platforms. And conservatives are very quick to jump on attempts to regulate that misinformation as uh, being about political bias. uh, And in turn, social media companies tend to respond to those critiques.
1: Uh, One big difference between social media companies and media companies like uh, newspapers uh, is that if, if we print something, we have to take responsibility for it. Uh, whereas, uh, these platforms, Facebook and Twitter, uh, uh do not, uh, have to take responsibility for it. And I think there are fair arguments on both sides. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? So that, that is
2: almost precisely the legal argument, uh, that, that uh, Trump was, was targeting, um, the social media companies. Are basically able to say that they are just providing a platform for other people to to speak um, rather than uh, doing their own uh, speaking uh, or speaking in an editorial capacity, uh, and there's specific legal provisions that allow them to cite that and not being responsible for the content um, on their their platforms, um, and so uh, President Trump is is uh, trying to uh, reduce uh, that that. Uh, the, that uh, I guess loophole or legal way out that the, the social media companies have um, it, that, that particular exemption um however, was seen as very important in the development of the internet generally and social media uh, specifically. Um, It is hard to see um, the same kind of growth in social media uh, if we had a legal environment where social media companies were legally responsible uh, for printing uh, in the same way that newspapers are uh, everything uh, that their users put on their platforms.
1: What what do you think is the um, net effect on politics, uh, on the political discourse in this country of of having a social media that uh, do not have to take responsibility for what uh, people may tweet or post? Well,
2: I should say that uh, most social science studies of the spread of uh, fake news or of uh, misinformation on social media have not found it to be very consequential. That is, um, doesn't seem to change people's votes um, uh, much. It seems to be much more a consequence of political attitudes uh, than a cause of those uh, attitudes. Um, On the other hand, it it certainly has coarsened the discourse to have uh, more people um, spreading uh, misinformation and spreading vitriolic attacks uh, online, Uh, and we have seen that the kinds of things that social media companies use uh, to decide what you get to see things like how much is something shared how much is something liked tends to uh privilege those things that are the most emotional uh and uh, the most uh one-sided uh and so that that certainly has changed the kinds of information that we encounter
1: well unfortunately we're out of time for what has been a very pleasant discourse uh, with you this morning matt Grossman from michigan state university thanks for being on city pulse Thank you. This is City Pulse on 89FM The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Feeling rootless? Maybe you could start a garden. During lockdown, home gardeners in Lansing have grown increasingly attached to their plants and vegetables. Some have been offering the fruits of their labor to members of the community. Some have constructed elaborate tropical paradises in their tiny apartments. Reporter Colt huntingly talked to several Lansing residents about finding solace in gardening. Here's the story. Plants breathe, they feel pain.
0: They lean towards the sunlight when they want it. For gardeners, they offer a sense of control and compassion. Once you purchase a plant or put seeds in the dirt, you suddenly become responsible for this living thing. In the same way a pet might, houseplants compel you to become more conscious of what's around you, to think more and to be more careful. What better time than a crisis characterized by mass death to start growing? Besides being a distraction from your day-to-day life, there's something inherently hopeful and optimistic about raising something new from the ground. Gardeners across Lansing have grown closer to their gardens during the COVID-19 outbreak. It's one of the many hobbies that people across the country picked up during lockdown. They have extra time on their hands, so why not? Ronnie Ford, a grad student at Michigan State University has been obsessively gardening since lockdown started. I grew up on a farm, so
3: I've been gardening like my whole life, basically. Um, but I got my own like house plants in college when I like kind of got my own space for the first time. And now, since I started grad school, my plant collection has like exponentially
0: increased and under quarantine too like i started growing food he has an extensive collection full of fruits vegetables herbs flowers succulents basically anything you can grow ford has attempted it he created a tropical paradise in his own apartment that allows the plants to flourish regardless of the season i
3: have like i can't i have 12 pepper plants um they're like mini sweet peppers so i just like it's just, like, a good little snack. Um, and then I have a pineapple plant that I planted, like, two or three years ago now. So that was, like, the first food plant that I, that I like, started. Um, but it's a very slow-growing plant, so it's been, like, a long time. And then I have um, bell pepper seeds, like, that I'm going to try. I'm trying to grow them hydroponically um, just to, like, kind of save some space. So I'm kind of experimenting with that, and then I just, I have a lot of, um, tropical plants. So I have, like, an entire room where I keep all my plants. And I have, like, a humidifier and a space heater going in here. So it's, like, really hot and humid
0: and the plants really love it. With all this plant buying, Ford has been running out of room to store them. In his small apartment tucked away in East Lansing, he said that there isn't much room for expansion. It's gotten to the point that he started giving away plants to his friends
3: think I have room for any more um despite that I'm picking up a new one today <laughs> I, I'm in yeah, I'm in this like Facebook group like Lansing plant exchange or something like that and um someone posted about having like he basically accidentally propagated way too much of this one plant and so he's trying to get rid of it and giving it away for free um some of the cutting so I'm getting that today and um uh, I bought a cutting of a prickly pear cactus online recently, so that's going to be a new thing soon, too. But after that,
4: I'm going to be cutting myself off from getting any more plants for a while.
0: Ford mentioned propagation back there. For those who don't know what that is, and don't worry, I didn't know either, it's basically when plants reproduce on their own. Sometimes it happens on accident, even. It's an incredibly efficient way to grow your own food. Basically,
3: If it like if that has seeds in it or whatever, I will just like save the seeds and plant them. A lot of times they'll just like do it on their own too. Like if you just leave onions in here, like pantry, they'll just grow.
0: Ford has an intense caretaking routine. With 70 plants to tend to, they have to get up each morning and spend hours making sure they're all alive and kicking. Basically
3: what I do, like one of the first things I do when I wake up is I like come in the plant room. And I make sure the humidifier is full and that the space heater goes for a couple of hours. I turn on the grow lights. I have two, like, standalone grow lights, and they just work on timers. And then in the closet of the plant room, because it's just an extra bedroom, um, I took the light out of, like, the light fixture and just put a grow light bulb in it. So I'm going to, like, basically fill the closet with plants, too. I kind of already have... So, yeah, I start my day by doing that, and then um, I have different watering cycles for different plants, mostly, so I water everything on Fridays, um, and that takes a long time, and like, several of watering can. Um, and then, like, my tropical plants, I do again on Tuesdays, and then again on Thursdays, or sometimes on Thursdays, too, if they're, like, really thirsty. Um, but for the most
4: part, I only do two big watering cycles a week.
0: His routine may sound exhausting to some, but for Ford, it's been a source of solace when he's felt isolated and depressed. The rhythm of watering plants and checking in on them every morning served as a useful distraction from the surrounding global chaos. Like, I just, yeah, I I think gardening during this time has been really
3: important to me. I seriously don't know what else I would be doing if not for, like taking care of my plants every day. Like, the ritual of it really helps me to feel very, like, grounded in reality because everything just feels so weird, you know? But it's like, you know, you wake up and you have that kind of, like, dread because of everything going on, and then I'm like, oh, I get to take care of my plants, and I, are,
4: like, I feel better immediately, you know?
0: The beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak was a nightmare for Ford. For a few weeks, he suspected that he had the virus, and he was especially worried because he has asthma. He had to self-isolate in a lonely apartment. I was, like living alone at the very beginning of
4: quarantine. Um, planting stuff was like the thing that was
3: keeping me sane, to be perfectly honest. Like I really was kind of starting to unravel before um my now girlfriend like moved in with me. Um uh, so I'm not like alone anymore. But yeah, I mean it's just it's a it's a very like spiritual and important practice to me just because of like how I grew up, like around plants and on the farm and stuff like that, so it makes me feel like it's like a safe way for me to stay connected to my family, I guess, because I can't really see them.
0: Ford has a massive amount of respect for plant life. He seemed determined to treat them as living creatures with a consciousness. Even if it's a consciousness that humans can't quite understand, Ford said that he believes that it's important to consider these things. Like I said earlier, if a plant can breathe and feel pain, and lean towards the sun well what do we make of that ford went so far as to suggest that plants can communicate with each other through their roots through the dirt he said that they talk he too said he feels as though he can communicate with his plants in some way whenever they're in need he knows whenever they're suffering he knows it's kind of incredible i don't know I guess I don't really know like different modes of consciousness or anything
3: but I think that like plants are alive and they respond and they and they can communicate with each other via root systems and via like mycelium and and fungi and stuff and like um I mean I I say this to like all my friends who I show my plants to like they talk to me and I understand them and like listening to them is a really important part of like watering them because it's like I mean, I couldn't describe to you how much water I give to any of my plants. I really don't even know. It's just like, I just can sense how much water they need, just when I'm when I'm doing it. So I think that like anyone is capable of doing that. It's just a matter of becoming intimate with like nature and recognizing that like this is another living thing that deserves to be alive just as much as you do. Um, and I think that like that's kind of what has kept me going with all of all of the plants It's just like experiencing another mode of living, you
0: know? Madison Barrett, an undergrad at MSU, found a DIY method of home gardening online and decided that lockdown was the perfect time to try it out. Unlike Ford's garden, Barrett's is outside in a wooden pallet. I had never heard of her method, so she had to explain it to me.
3: My mom just had, like, this big, thick wooden pallet hanging out in her backyard. And uh, I had seen, like, on Pinterest and stuff, that you can pretty easily turn that... Into like a planter, all you do is get some landscaping paper or like something to line the insides with, and like a staple gun. And then you throw some dirt and compost in there, and then it creates like even rows because you're plant your stuff. So, I don't know, it's like a small garden, but it's not. I don't know, you, it's more controlled than like planting it in the ground. You know, you can tr- control your own like soil composition and stuff.
0: Though her garden may be small, Barrett should have a healthy crop of vegetables by harvest season. Instead of Ford's maximalist home gardening tendencies, Barrett said she prefers to tend to smaller crops. Right now I
3: have tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchini. I have, I like, planted some watermelon seeds even though I have nowhere to grow them. So I'm just have to figure out where to put these watermelons. Um, that's about it. That's the basic. I'll probably grow, like,
0: lettuce and stuff I can actually get them in the ground. Sourdough starters, animal crossing, gourmet cooking, fishing, many people have used their time in lockdown to start up a new hobby or get re-obsessed with an old one. Barrett said that she's seen a rise in the number of gardeners on social media, too. At least on my, like, social media platform, um, I feel like I've seen everyone posting about, you know, their plants in their gardens, but I think it definitely is, like, good because you know, you can't cancel gardening, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things of summer that, like, you can for sure do still, so... So, like a lot of people are trying to get more into it right now. Besides tending to her own garden, Barrett has found joy in her internship at Hunter Park.
3: So they have a greenhouse and then, like a community garden. And the Allen Neighborhood Center has, runs their own um, farmer's market. So they sell stuff there, they donate to the food pantry, and then um, part of like that park is called Edible Park. And we like plant everything, but anyone from the community can come and harvest as much as they want whenever so it's a really cool
0: thing actually hunter park isn't the only place where people can garden in public in lansing john crone would know he was introduced to me as a figurehead of lansing's gardening community a leader he said that him and his wife both are if you want to garden in this town then they're the people to talk to yeah
4: uh my wife and i both are we both um are doing jobs we're both professionals and agriculture. Um I run the garden program for England County Land Bank. Mm-hmm. And so my chief job is to make sure that anybody in Lansing who wants access to land to garden on can get it and get the help they need, the tools they need to be
0: successful with it. There are pockets of paradise tucked away all around Lansing the city has a booming urban farming scene. Maybe you've seen them around town. Programs like the Lansing Urban Farm Project and Krohn's work at the Land Bank have helped a whole city of people learn to love gardening and farming. Without them, the city would look a lot less green and a lot more gray. We have around
4: 160 gardens on about 34 acres all over Lansing. Uh, most of them are just uh, a contract an individual.
0: Demand for lots has started to skyrocket during the COVID-19 outbreak. With nothing else to do, people have been looking for a way to get outside, feel the sunshine on their backs. It's also easy to do while social distancing. You can garden on your own with your roommates. In a time when many of our favorite activities feel unsafe, gardening seems more appealing than ever. If you can't go to the bar, why not grow a tomato? Crown said that right now is basically the perfect time to start a garden.
4: Yeah, I would say that there's more demand as human than ever has been. And that is because, one, people have more time on their hands, and two, people are suddenly aware of you know, what can go wrong with the mainstream food system. And I think that they're a little bit um, more interested in being food
0: secure by growing their own food. While the instability of the food supply chain may have played a part in people rushing to plant their own food, Crone also agreed with Barrett and Ford. Not everyone is starting a garden out of paranoia that their refrigerators will be empty in a couple months. It's not all doomsday prepping. The reason people are starting gardens is actually simple. It's just that getting in touch with nature can offer a sense of calm unlike anything else. Oh absolutely, yeah. I think it, it...
4: many people, for
0: sure. John said that he's proud of what the Land Bank has done for the community, too. They have a raspberry patch where you can pick raspberries anytime you want. Same for sweet corn. And they have an apple orchard, too. John said he's willing to help out anyone, so if you'd like to start a garden, you can reach him at his email, jcrone at ingham.org. Again, that's jcrone at ingham.org. For City Pulse, this has been Colt Huntingley.
1: Thanks, Cole. And now, after I get out of the way, our music editor, Rich Tupica, will take us out with this week's Michigan musical memory. City Pulse on the air comes back next week on The Impact with a new show. Thanks for listening. For City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz.
5: Hi, City Pulse listeners. The track you're about to hear is by a band called The Woolies. And this particular song is a cover of Who Do You Love, the 19 56 song by the legendary Bo Diddley Um, the Woolies recorded their cover in 1966 so a solid decade after the original Lansing zone the Woolies went to the studio and recorded this really scorching cover of an already amazing tune and uh, throughout the 60s the Woolies really uh, they had some regional hits and they toured around they played a lot in Lansing um, they were like the house band at Lizards, which later became Rick's American Cafe. Uh, Bob Beldori was in the group, and he's notorious around these parts for his spirit record label, where he released records. He recorded tons of great bands. A lot of under the radar Lansing made records. There's Bob Beldori behind the, the mixing board. Uh, Bob recorded a song called You Haven't Seen My Love by The Ones. So, yeah, aside from the Woolies and their amazing songs, Bob Baldori has an amazing track record. His brother, Jeff Baldori, who's also in the group, he also has a lot of amazing work under his belt. And, uh, yeah, so check out this really, really um, amazing cover of Who Do You Love by the Woolies, recorded in 1966 and released on Dunhill Records. Check it out. We